Thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. All right, Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter number 7. We're in a series entitled White Knuckle Faith. It's about holding on to your faith. It's about holding on to simple Christian faith. It's about holding on to God's plan for your life, which is always the best plan. The writer of Hebrews is writing to some folks who are in jeopardy of abandoning simple Christian faith. And he is urging them to hold on to their Christian faith with a white-knuckled grip. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever been in a conversation with somebody, and it's somebody who is telling a, 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 a two-and-a-half-minute story, but it takes them an hour and a half to do it? Hello? And so in the middle of their story, you're sitting there, and although you may be too kind and polite to say this, in your mind you're thinking, okay, why don't you cut to the chase? Why don't you get to the bottom of it? Give me the main point of what you're trying to say. If you ever ever had a conversation like that, raise your hand. Yeah. If you've ever been the one who was telling the two and a half minute story in an hour and a half, raise your hand. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We know who you are. Well, the writer of Hebrews is about to get to the main point. And he tells us as much in the middle of this passage. I'll begin reading with chapter 7, verse 11. And go through chapter 8, verse 5. But at chapter 8, verse 1, he tells us, this is the main point. Now, it's taken him seven chapters to do it. So he's probably one of those who would tell a a two and a half minute story in an hour and a half. But at least he does get finally to the main point. If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, he says... And indeed, the law given to the people established priesthood. Why was there still need for another priest to come? One in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron. For when the priesthood is changed, the law must be changed also. He of whom these things are said belonged to a different tribe, and no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar." For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah, that is the tribe of Judah. And in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. The priests were supposed to be from the supposed to be from the tribe of Levi, not Judah. And what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears one who has become a priest not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. For it is declared, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless, for the law made nothing perfect. And a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. Others became priests without any oath, but Melchizedek became a priest with an oath when God said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. 
Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. Covenant means an agreement, a deal. Now, there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office, but Jesus, because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priest, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weakness, but the oath which came after the law appointed the son who has been made perfect forever. Chapter 8. Now, the main point of what we are saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by a mere human being. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. And so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. If he were on earth, he would not be a priest, for there are already priests who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. God said, see to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown to you on the mountain. Last week, we introduced uh, a person by the name of Melchizedek, a a very mysterious character. In all the 1,182 chapters in the Bible, Melchizedek is found in about uh, five of them, four or five of them, not not many at all. We find him in Genesis chapter 14. That's where we're first introduced to him. Abraham has gone to rescue his nephew Lot. And he defeats the the nations who captured Lot. And he's coming back with all of the loot that he has taken from those defeated nations. And he comes across this man by the name of Melchizedek. The Bible describes him as the king of Salem, which later would be Jerusalem. And he's also priest of the Most High God. And when Abraham sees him, the Bible says that Melchizedek blesses Abraham And then Abraham gives one-tenth, 10% of all of his loot, all of his bounty, he gives to Melchizedek, the priest of the Most High God. That's Genesis 14. We see a brief mention of him in Psalm 110, which is what we call a messianic psalm, a psalm that is predicting the coming of the Messiah. And the the writer of, of Psalm 110, presumably David, says of the coming Messiah, he will be a priest, but not after the Levite priests, but he'll be a priest in the order of this mysterious man, Melchizedek. We don't see anything about Melchizedek for the rest of the Old Testament, and we don't see anything about him in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, or any of Paul's material. It's only when we come to the book of Hebrews beginning in chapter 5 and going through here to chapter 7 and into chapter 8, that 
we find him brought up again. And the writer of Hebrews is saying that Jesus is a high priest and is our ultimate high priest. And the people who are hearing him, they are, for the most part, Jewish Christians who are very familiar with Old Testament law, very familiar with the Old Testament priesthood. And they're saying to the writer, they're saying, hey, wait a minute, Jesus can't be a high priest because he's not out of the tribe of Levi. He's out of the tribe of Judah and nobody from the tribe of Judah in the Old Testament was appointed a priest, only the the Levite tribe. And so the writer of Hebrews says, you're right. Jesus is out of the tribe of Judah, but he is a priest after a much greater priest than any of the Levite priests because he comes in the order of Melchizedek, this mysterious character Melchizedek. There were several things we talked about uh, with regard to Melchizedek last week. I want to remind you of some of those. You'll remember that Melchizedek was both a priest and a king. The Levite priests were allowed to be priests, but they were none allowed to be kings. But here, Melchizedek was both the priest of the Most High God, Genesis 14, and he was king of Salem. And so he was priest and king. Jesus is not a Levitical priest who could only be priest but not king, but he's a priest after the order of Melchizedek. He's both priest and king. And then also Melchizedek was king of righteousness. The the name Melchizedek is a compound Hebrew word that means king of righteousness. Melech or Melchi is king and Zedek is righteousness. He was king of righteousness and so is Jesus. He was also, the Bible says, Melchizedek, king of Salem. Salem comes from the Hebrew word shalom, which means peace. He was king of peace. And Jesus is also king of peace. The the prophets recorded, Isaiah said that he would be the prince of peace, the everlasting father, the wonderful counselor, the everlasting God. And then last week we mentioned that Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek. He paid tithes to Melchizedek. And then the writer pulls up something that's really, it, it's, it's a DNA biological, anatomical, really, because he says this. He says, he says, you all in the Jewish religion, you pay tithes to the Levite priests. But he said, Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek. And because Levi, who was the great grandson of Abraham, was still in Abraham's genes, his DNA, it's almost as if Levi through Abraham was also paying tithes to Melchizedek, which makes him greater than any of the Levitical priests. And Jesus is like Melchizedek. And then uh, another thing that we mentioned last week is the fact that Melchizedek or Jesus like Melchizedek had no beginning and no end of days. Now, Melchizedek, I believe, did have a father and mother, and he had a birth date, and he had a death date. But we don't read anything about his parents. We don't read anything about his birth date. We don't read anything about his death. He comes on the scene in chapter 14. He blesses Abraham, receives tithes from Abraham, and then Abraham leaves, and Melchizedek disappears. So we don't know anything about his beginning or his ending. And in that same way, the writer of Hebrews ties Jesus with Melchizedek by saying, Jesus really doesn't have a beginning of days because he's always been here. He is eternal in the past and he will have no end of his days again because he is eternal in the future. Past, present, future. He is eternal. I love uh, one of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 90 that says before the worlds were even born 
Even before you made the earth and the worlds, you are God. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And so like Melchizedek, Jesus is a uh, king and priest who has no end and has no beginning of days. Now, all of that is to say this, and this is what he gets to in chapter 8, verse 1. This is the main point that he's making. It's simply this. Jesus is better. He's better. Now, what he's going to do is go back. Most of these folks are being tempted to go back to their old uh, Jewish faith and to abandon Christ. Now, I doubt seriously that there is anybody uh, here in this building who is tempting to, uh, being tempted to give up Christianity and go back to uh, an old Jewish faith. I don't know. But maybe you're tempted to give up on Jesus' best plan for you and opt for a substitute plan, an alternative plan that seems to you to be better. Whatever that plan may be that you look at and you're thinking, okay, now here I believe is what God's plan is for my life. It's not a whole lot of fun. At least it doesn't look like it to me. This looks a lot more exciting. This looks a lot more adventuresome. This looks a lot more fulfilling. This looks a lot happier. I'm going to opt for my plan instead of God's plan. And the moment we do that, the moment that we decide to drift away from God's plan and embrace what we think is our own better plan, We step into very thin ice over treacherous, shark-infested waters. God's plan, no matter how boring it may look to us, is always a better, more fulfilling plan. Now, Jesus was better... uh, as a priest, and there are a number of reasons, a number of ways in which he was superior to the Old Testament priesthood. So I want you to listen to this. First of all, Jesus was better because he is a sinless priest. He's a sinless priest. When the Old Testament priests came to make a sacrifice for the people, before they ever made a sacrifice for anybody else, they had to make a sacrifice for themselves because they were sinful priests. For them to make a sacrifice for the people without making a sacrifice for themselves would have been a joke. So first, they would take the time to make a sacrifice for themselves. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 26 says this, that Jesus, such a high priest as Jesus, truly meets our needs because he is holy, blameless, pure, set apart for sinners, exalted above the heavens. No other priest could say that. All the rest of them were sinful. Only Jesus comes to make a sacrifice that is holy. The second thing about Jesus and and the second way in which he's superior to the old way is that he did not have to make atonement for himself. Therefore, he could and did offer himself. You'll never read a place in the Old Testament where one of the Levite priests came up and they first they made a sacrifice for for them, their own sins. Then they killed an animal, made a sacrifice for the people. But never, ever did one of those priests make himself the sacrifice. Never. They never did. You know what? They couldn't do it because they were sinful. It would have meant nothing. It would just be a dead priest laying on the altar, spewing his blood for nothing because he was sinful. There was no way that a sinful priest could sacrifice himself. But the writer of Hebrews says this in verse 27 of chapter 7. He says, unlike the other high priest, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then 
for the sins of the people. He does not need daily like those priests to offer up sacrifices, he says. But yet, not only was he not having to offer a sacrifice for himself, but because he was sinless and pure and holy, he could offer himself as the living sacrifice. You remember how uh, John the Baptist introduced Jesus to the people on the edge of the Jordan? John was baptizing in Jordan, John the Baptist. And he looks up and he sees Jesus coming. And here's what John said. He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Why did he use such terminology? The Lamb of God. Why didn't he call him a lion? Or why didn't he call him Savior? Why didn't he call him Redeemer? Why didn't he use some good theological term? The Lamb of God. Because John knew at least he knew in part, what Jesus had come to do. He came to be the sacrificial lamb. No longer would an animal have to be slain. No longer would a priest have to come and offer the blood of a lamb or a goat. But instead, Jesus came and he was our sacrificial lamb. And so Jesus could and did offer himself as a sacrifice to God the Father on our behalf. Number three. Jesus' sacrifice was superior because his sacrifice of himself was once for all. Once for all. You see, back in the Old Testament times, the priest would offer sacrifices for the people, but he would offer them today, and then a few months later, people would have to come back and he'd have to offer them again. And then a few months later, they'd have to come back and he'd have to offer them again, not only for himself, but sacrifices for everybody else. It happened over and over and over and over again. It was a repeat, repetitive cycle that never seemed to end. But then Jesus came. He was sinless. He was pure. He could give himself as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so when he gave himself on the cross, he did it once for all. Never again does a sacrifice need to be made because his sacrifice was the ultimate sacrifice. It did away with all of the Old Testament animal sacrifices for sins. It did away with all of that because Jesus offered himself once for all. At the end of chapter 7, verse 27, it says, this Jesus did once when he offered up himself. The word once is such a great word. It means conclusively. It means with finality. It means uh, uh, never to have to be repeated again. So Jesus' sacrifice of himself was once for all. Number four, Jesus was superior over all the other priests Because while they were appointed by the law, Jesus wasn't appointed by the law. He was appointed by the very oath of God himself as the perfect son of God. Look at verse 28. It says, for the law appoints as high priests men in all their weaknesses. The law appoints them, the Old Testament law. But the oath, now where is the oath? It's in Psalm 110 where God says, I swear on my oath, I swear on my own name, you will be a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. He didn't swear it according to the law. He swore it according to an oath of his own name. God put his own name on the line by appointing Jesus as the priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. 
So, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son who has been made perfect forever. Psalm 110 verse 4 says this, The Lord has sworn and will not repent. That is, He will not change His mind. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And then the final way in which Jesus is superior according to this writer is this. Jesus is superior because He is a priest forever. The Old Testament Levitical priests, they would begin serving at age 30 And usually they would retire at age 50 if they lived that long. Uh, Many of them didn't, and so uh, their priesthood would either end at age 50 or it would end at death, whichever came first. Verse 28, the law appoints as high priests men in all their weaknesses. And then the last part of verse 28 says, the oath appointed the son to be priest who has been made perfect forever. Now, All of this seems so irrelevant to us, doesn't it? I mean, you know, Melchizedek, what does that matter? Yeah, I don't quite understand it. I'd like to understand it more. But uh, what does it really mean? What does it really mean for us? And and the fact of the matter is this. The writer of Hebrews was looking at where most of these people were were in jeopardy of moving to. And that is back to Old Testament faith. And, and he's, he's marking out the weaknesses of that Old Testament system, that Old Testament priesthood. And, and he's saying, look, here's the weakness of this, but Jesus makes it perfect. All of that was just a shadow of what was to come in Jesus. It was just a, a, a symbolizing what he was going to do. And when he came and make it perfect, make it complete. You don't have to go back because what you have in Jesus is far, far better. Now, you and I aren't tempted to go back to an Old Testament system, I don't think, although I do hear some people from time to time who want to uh, try to judge others according to Old Testament. They'll pick out a verse or two here and there. But most of us, I think, want to stick with the New Testament fulfillment of the Old Testament. But what you may be tempted to do is to give up on Jesus' plan for your life to adopt a different plan. And what the writer of Hebrews says to us when we're tempted to abandon God's plan for a substitute plan, what he says to them is as relevant to us when we're tempted to do that because anything other than God's plan is a very serious Mistake. Very serious mistake. Don't abandon Jesus. Don't abandon simple Christian faith. Don't abandon God's plan for something else. You see, Jesus is far better than anything else we could worship. Jesus is far better than any other plan we could follow. Jesus is better than any other life we could live. Jesus is better than any other God we could think of or idolize. He's better. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, You have given us Your very best. You gave us Your Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You gave us the best. So often we are tempted to drift away from Your best for something that we think is better but never is. Lord, give us the strength to cling to You in white-knuckled faith and not abandon Your best plan for us. Lord, as we go to this invitation, someone here needs to come and invite Christ to be their Savior. Someone needs to come who's already invited Christ to be their Savior and they need to come and join for baptism. Someone needs to make this church their home church. Someone needs to bring their problems and their trials to this altar. Someone else needs to bring their praises and their triumphs to this altar. Lord, there are people who may need to come to you in prayer at this altar with things that no one else knows about and they just need to talk with you about it. Lord, I pray that this would now be a holy place Because it is a place where people meet you. They make the the decisions that you have led them to make. And you've changed their lives. Lord, let this moment of invitation be a time of life change for somebody in this place. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.